0: Good morning. good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to see you guys. My name is Pastor Brian. For our visitors, uh, all the other guys know me. Um, today's pretty significant. Anybody know why? It's Christmas. Oh, okay. It's Christmas. All right, cool. Um, yeah, it's Christmas. Uh, it's very um, seldom that Christmas falls on a Sunday. Um, and this was the last time this happened was seven years ago. Uh, and the next time it'll happen is 11 years from now, in 2033, right, right, Yep. So 2033 is the next time you'll be able to celebrate Christmas on a Sunday. So I don't know how old you are now, but just add 11 years to that. And I hope that you'll make the decision that you made today that you'll you'll spend time with God, with his people, worshiping him. Um, one thing that Christmas is known for outside of the gospel story, which we're going to get to, is gifts, Right? Uh, Most people have Christmas trees that have gifts underneath them. Uh, Most people are given gifts as a symbolic gesture of one's love or affection towards one another. Uh, The definition of gift is a thing given willingly to someone without payment, a present. And so I want us to kind of think back through the history of our life and um, just want to hear from you guys. Like, what are some of your favorite Christmas gifts you've ever received? It could be something as as late as last night. Moses, you got a PS five. Yeah, yeah, that was like we had to call uh, Santa's elves helpers to make that thing. We couldn't find it anywhere. Um, what are some of you guys' other favorite Christmas gifts? Leather jacket. Leather jacket. I didn't it. like it at first. too. Didn't like it at first. Learned, you learned to love it. How about you, Mike? Piece of coal, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was told that you know Mike gets together with all his bad friends and they get their coal together and they, they start a barbecue. So that's why he likes the coal. How about some of you other guys? Some of your favorite Christmas gifts? Mine was actually Christmas Eve, but it was my first grandson. Uh, your first awesome. grandson? Wow. That's a pretty great gift. It's hard to top that. Anybody else? Having everybody home. People. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's better than the stuff I'm getting ready to say. But I was more thinking like material, comes-in-a-box type gifts. Anybody want to share? Yeah. A broom? Hoverboard. Hoverboard. Okay, I thought you said broom because I actually did get my kids a broom for one of their birthdays. Because they sweep. It's just like, man, let me make sure I get them a good broom. Hoverboard, that's pretty cool. All right, so just for fun, I wanted to share with you guys the top Christmas gifts from the past 44 years, starting in 1977. So this will be a history lesson for some of you guys. But some of these things are very interesting. So in 1977, the top Christmas gift was Star Wars toys. That's how old Star Wars is. In 1978, the year I was born, the game Simon. The game Simon came out. 1979, Atari video computer system. 1980, I saw some kids playing back there earlier. The Rubik's cube. In 1981, Smurfs figurines. <sighs> <laughs> and yeah, seriously. 1982, I mean, if you had one of these, you were the man. A BMX bike. I didn't have one, unfortunately. <laughs> one, one. Uh, 1983, Cabbage Patch Kits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 1984, is when stuff started getting cool in my childhood. Transformers. And if you're really cool, you got Optimus Prime. He was the best, <laughs> even though I like the uh, the gun. Who was the gun? What was his Magishaw? name? Magishaw? Yeah, dude. If you had that gun, my parents wouldn't give me that. They knew what kind of kid I was. 1985 was the Care Bears. 1986, long and forgotten, but Teddy Ruxpin. Oh. Teddy Ruxpin was the man. Uh, 1987, um, the Koosh Ball, which by the way, in my house, my son Josh and I have the record. Uh, we beat Jake and Logan, we went like 300 times with the Koosh paddles, so we like the Koosh ball. This is, when, this is actually my personal favorite in 1988, I was 10 years old. I got the Nintendo Entertainment System console. Yes. Anybody else get that in 1988? Maybe. Audrey, me and Audrey. Yeah, Audrey. <laughs> she was born in like 2008, but still. Um, 1989, the Game Boy, that's when gaming became local. Uh, 1990, the Teenage Mutant Ninja turps. 1991, Pogs. Whatever those were. 1992, probably my least favorite thing on this list, is the talking purple dinosaur named Barney. Aww. Yeah, that was. anybody lucky enough to get that for Christmas tonight, uh, too? 1993, I don't know what this is, something called Talk Boy. Home Alone Two. I've kind of forgot most of it. Talk Boys in there. Yeah, he's, he's to the thing to the for the hotel. Dude, oh, thanks. I was wondering what it was. Appreciate it. Nineteen ninety four, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Nineteen ninety five was the Beanie Babies. Nineteen ninety six, making his first appearance on this list, Tickle Me Elmo. anybody get that? Tabitha, You remember your Tickle Me Elmo? Um, in 1997 was the Tamagotchi. Oh uh, yes. anybody get the Tamagotchi? Yeah. Jamie? I had to look at this. This was the first virtual reality pet. Yeah. Yeah. So for all the parents, we're like, we're not getting the pet. You get the. Did you get one? She's over here shaking her. You got a Tamagotchi? Yeah. You really did? What kind of Tamagotchi did you have? Don't even remember. That's how awesome it was. 1998, the Furby. He's got a Tamagotchi. Look, there's a Tamagotchi keychain. I didn't know it was a thing. Apparently, it's still around. All right, 1998 was the Furby. 1999 was Pokemon cards. Nin- uh, excuse me, the year 2000 was the Razor scooters. 2001 were the Bratz fashion dolls, Bratz with a Z. 2002, I think I got my kids these. Beyblades. This was the only one in 2003 and 2004 that made the list consecutive years was the Robo Sapien. Never heard of it. 2005, the Xbox 360. Not to be outdone, in 2006 by the PlayStation 3. 2007, the iPod Touch. 2008, making his second appearance, Elmo Live. Yeah, there's a couple of Elmo fans in here. 2009 was the 1st ebook device called Nook. 2010 was the 2015 BB-8 from Star Wars. 2016, the NES Mini, so the NES made a comeback in the mini console. 2017, Cosmo, a robot that teaches kids to code. I know Lucas is going to want one now. 2018 was a Boxer AI robot. Yeah, I figured you probably had it. Uh, 2019 was the LOL Surprise 2 in 1 Glamper. Anybody get the, the Surprise Glamper? I want a real Surprise Glamper. 2020 was the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. And then last year, 2021, was the Grogu plush toy. Grogu is the uh, from Mandalorian, the little Yoda looking thing. So cute. Elmo's on there four times. So what do you guys think will be the best gift of 2022? Elmo. I mean, yeah, that's a good <laughs> <laughs> <no more>. thing. Statistic. <laughs> Statistically it'll probably be Elmo. No but I wanna I wanna get serious for a minute. Our guests are probably like, man, this church just tells this guy stand up here and joke all day. Sometimes. But I do want to get serious as I, as I wanna think about what actually is the greatest gift of 2022, which is without a doubt The greatest gift of all time. And it's going to come directly out of the passage we read earlier. So we're going to stand. We're going to read one verse together. So let's stand to honor the reading of God's word from John chapter one, verse 14. The greatest gift. Here we go. You guys read with me. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace, grace and truth. truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lightheartedness. We could look at uh, gifts for the past 44 years. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the greatest gift ever to all mankind. And we pray, God, that uh, through the study of this verse, God, on this Christmas day, that you would help cement in our hearts the foundational truth that, Jesus, you became flesh. You dwelt amongst us, you revealed your glory, you were sent by the Father, and you were the fullness of grace and truth. And I pray that, that we would become more like Jesus as a result of what we hear today. So we, pray we'd to hearts, we pray that you would apply it to our hearts. We pray that you would just do amazing things through this congregation for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. So, the theme is gifts. Obviously, the spoiler alert is that Jesus is the greatest gift. But I want to start by mentioning and thinking about gifts, the gift of his personhood. So the first part of this verse, we're going to break this verse down and those will be our points. The first part of this verse is, and the word became flesh. Let's just say that together. And the word became flesh. This is God becoming a man. It's a doctrine called the incarnation. It just simply means that Jesus took on flesh. Jesus Christ was born as a baby. We we read the scripture earlier. We know we celebrate Jesus who was born as a baby and would go on to be a grown man who would end up giving his life. But while Jesus was alive, he wasn't less than a man. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. That's called the hypostatic union. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. And sometimes we forget, because he is 100% God, that he was 100% man. Jesus Christ was a full human. In Luke chapter 8, verse 23, it talks about Jesus falling asleep. Just like us, Jesus slept. Matthew 4, verse 2, it says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. Jesus hungered for food just like us. John 10, 39 says they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Jesus, like us, required physical protection for his physical body. He was fully man. And like us, he would sweat and also bleed. John 19 34 says, and being in agony, he prayed more more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And ultimately one of the soldiers would pierce his side with a spear, spirit. Once there would come out blood and water, he sweat and he bled because he was fully human. But Jesus also expressed full emotions. John 15 11, Jesus expressed joy. In Matthew 26, 37, Jesus expressed sorrow. And in Mark 3, verse 5, Jesus expressed anger. And Jesus also referred to himself in his humanity. He called himself a man in John chapter 8, verse 40. And so Jesus steps into human history as a person. Yes, he's fully God, but he also came as a person. Jesus affirms personhood. He could relate to us in every single way. Jesus, who was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, yet without sin, this is what he came to do. To become a human. And just as a side note, in Jesus' affirmation of personhood, remember Jesus was God, so he could have come however he wanted. Jesus could have spoke salvation into existence. Jesus could have put someone else on a cross if he wanted to. Like God could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he came as a baby, born in a virgin's womb, affirming personhood. So this church, we affirm personhood. That's why we protect children in the womb. If it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Amen? Amen. He was fully God, fully man. He was a full person. So he gave us the gift of his personhood so that we could study the way that he lived, the way that he talked, the way that he interacted, the way that he ate, the way that he slept, the way that he fed. Jesus was a full person. So we have the gift of his personhood. We also have the gift of his presence. Everyone say, and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. Point two. And dwelt among us. So, as Christians, we believe God is both transcendent and immanent. Transcendence. Refers to his externality, that God is external to his creation, he's not bound to it. Eminence, on the other hand, refers to his activity within creation. God is intimately involved in the governance of his creation, and he takes an active, special interest through the people in the church and what we do in the building of the kingdom. God is eminent. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, you see God's involvement with mankind. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we find God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we find God in the new Jerusalem living with a redeemed humanity. And in between these two books, you find God interacting with people, nations, and the created order. He is not a passive observer of creation. Instead, he is an active participant in its affairs, guiding and directing according to his divine sovereignty. In the Old Testament, God's presence with Israel was obvious during the wilderness wanderings after the Exodus. At Mount Sinai, after the incident with the golden calf, God told Moses that he would not go with the people on their journey to Canaan because they were a stiff-necked people. But Moses pleaded with God to accompany them on the journey, and God relented. And so God was with Israel, leading them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Where that pillar went, they went. And then in the New Testament, we see God's presence in an even more intimate fashion. When God reassures Joseph concerning Mary's pregnancy, he tells him that the one to be born of Mary would be called Emmanuel or God with us. He was God of human form, living and moving amongst us. God's presence is with us. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is. In his presence and his personhood reveals the glory of God. Third point, the gift of his glory revealed. The gift of having Jesus is we receive the full glory. John says, and let's say it together, point three. And we have seen his glory. Let's try it again. And we have seen his glory. glory. Some people say the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed and the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. The entire Old Testament was people who were were looking um, at shadows and types, awaiting a Messiah. Some people actually fulfilled a role. We think about Joseph being sold off into slavery, going into Egypt to become a a provision for his family. Right. Joseph became a provision for. For his family in the same way jesus became the provision for the church we look at um abraham and isaac and we see that isaac was going to become the sacrifice and that god would provide a ram ultimately pointing to the fact that there would be a sacrifice that would take place for us on our behalf that we wouldn't have to die so the old testament there's all these there's all these types and shadows of jesus his fingerprints are all over the Old Testament, but when we get to the New Testament and the stories we read, all of a sudden, the glory of God is fully revealed through the God-man, Jesus Christ. In his birth, the story would go on to say the entire angelic host would be worshiping, harp the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The wise men the shepherds, when they came in his presence, they fell on their face. Because they knew they were in the presence of God Almighty. His glory being revealed. In Jesus life, the way he taught people feared him because they said this man teaches as if one who has ultimate authority, God's glory revealed in his teaching. In his signs and wonders raising Lazarus from the dead, he was glorifying himself and showing us his glory standing on a mountain and feeding a multitude the 3,000, the 5,000 five loaves and two fishes and multiplying it, revealing that he was God they revealed his glory, he revealed his glory to them and then the transfiguration probably one of the most amazing spectacles that these guys ever experienced John himself experienced John who says I've seen his glory. He witnessed the transfiguration. I'm going to read from uh, God questions. I love God questions. I quote them a lot. But in, in regards to the transfiguration, it says about a week after Jesus plainly told his disciples that he would suffer, be killed, and be raised to life, he took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray. While praying, his personal appearance was changing into a glorified form, and his clothing became dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with Jesus about his death that would soon take place. Peter, not knowing what he was saying and being very fearful, offered to put up three shelters for them. This is undoubtedly a reference to the booths that were used to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles when the Israelites dwelt in the booths for seven days. Peter was expressing a wish to stay in that place. When a cloud enveloped them, a voice said, This is my son whom I have chosen, whom I love. Listen to him. The cloud lifted. Moses and Elijah disappeared and Jesus was alone with his disciples who were still very much afraid. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after his resurrection. The purpose of this transfiguration of Christ was partly to show his heavenly glory to that inner circle. So they could gain a greater understanding of who he was. Christ underwent a dramatic change in his appearance in order that his disciples could behold him in his glory. The disciples who had only known him in his human body now had a greater realization of the deity of Christ, though they could not fully comprehend it. This gave them assurance, the reassurance they would need after hearing the shocking news of his coming death. Symbolically, the appearance of Moses and Elijah represented the law and the prophets. But God's voice from heaven said listen to him clearly showing that the law and prophets must give way to Jesus the one who is the new and living way is replacing the old he is the fulfillment of the law and the countless prophecies in the Old Testament also in his glorified form they saw a preview of his coming glorification and enthronement as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the disciples never forgot what they saw that day on the mountain and no doubt this was intended. As John wrote in his Gospels we're reading today, we have seen his glory. Peter also wrote of it in 2 Peter one 16 through 16-18. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Those who witnessed the transfiguration bore witness to it, to the other disciples and to countless millions throughout the history of time. So Jesus Christ's glory was revealed at birth. It was revealed through his life. It was revealed in the transfiguration. And it would be revealed... In his crucifixion. You know, we we live, and I hear it all the time, like, we love baby Jesus, right? That's Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby, if you've seen that movie. It's it's almost a mockery in essence. Like, we prayed a sweet baby Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be just a baby. It's a beautiful story that God came as a baby, but he was born that he might live, that ultimately he might die. And Jesus Christ's glory was revealed as he went to the cross to take our sins, to die in our place. This is what the Christmas story is truly about. That God would step into human history and look at a sinful people and say, you don't have what it takes to earn your salvation. But I do have what it takes. And I'll earn it for you on your behalf. So, you know, St. Nick is actually a historical figure, right? If you didn't know that. uh, Anybody ever heard of the story of St. Nick? Like the true St. Nick? It's pretty amazing. This guy was all about doctrine. (laughs) If you had the wrong doctrine, he was like getting fights with you and stuff. He was rowdy. But the modern day Santa Claus is basically this, this, this false prophet who says, Hey, if you do enough good, I'll get you some good stuff, and if you're bad, like Mike Lauer, you're going to get a lump of coal. And then what happens is, like, parents tell their kids that, and so kids try to be on their best behavior, and ultimately, they're still going to be, you know, rowdy, rebellious kids, because that's just what we do. And the parents end up getting them stuff anyways. So it's like, parents lie to their kids about it, and then they actually don't fulfill what they said they were going to do. and make themselves a liar. But, but Jesus Christ isn't Santa Claus. <laughs> Jesus Christ says, you'll never be good enough. If Jesus Christ was weighing our works, we'd all get cold. But Jesus Christ says, you're not good enough, but I am. And I'm going to die in your place on this cross. That you'll inherit eternal life. That's how his glory was revealed. And then he went to the tomb. And we all know we're going to celebrate come April on the Resurrection Sunday. That Jesus Christ didn't stay buried. That Jesus Christ rose from the grave, thus revealing his glory. Which really leads me to the fourth point. The greatest gift of Christmas is the gospel. His gospel. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, For, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the glory of God revealed to us. The purpose of Jesus' incarnation wasn't merely to be a person who was present. To affirm personhood, to taste food or feel emotions. Or to be a great teacher or a powerful healer. The son of God came in the flesh in order to be a savior for mankind. It was necessary for him to be born under the law like us but ultimately to come to fulfill the law. It was necessary for the Savior to shed his blood for us. Scriptures teach without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin, which required a bodily sacrifice. Aren't you grateful that your body doesn't have to be sacrificed to earn your salvation? And so as we dwell on Q baby Jesus, we we must understand that He's going to grow up to be a 33-year-old man who's going to go to a cross and pay the penalty for yours and my sin. Without the incarnation, without God coming to the earth, there would not be any fitting sacrifice. And the cross ultimately would be meaningless. God himself had to take the weight and the wrath of our sin. In order to accomplish our salvation God the Father did an incredible work sending his only begotten Son into the world pro- providing the salvation that we do not deserve praise the Lord for that moment in which the word became flesh we are now redeemed with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without spot or blemish and this is ultimately how we are reconnected back to God and we can get the greatest presence in the world, some people don't get good presents, some people don't have good family, some people aren't going to eat today, some people aren't going to spend time with family, but if they've got Jesus Christ, they've got all they need. And all those gifts I read, and Moses, and Lucas, and PS5, that's great, man, but that, that pales in comparison to your greatest need, which has been met at the cross through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And Christmas is a, is a celebratory time. It's also a time to reflect. Some of us are away from home. Some of us lost loved ones. Some of us have had bad years. Some of us have a good year. Some of us had a bad morning. But ultimately, in Christ, we have all we need for life. We have everything in him. Because God has given us the gift of divine relationship. Because of the gospel because of our faith, we have been restored back to God the Father. We have a divine relationship, just as Jesus and the Father have a divine relationship. Second to last point here. The gift of divine relationship. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. There's a divine essence that both Jesus and the Father share. Jesus says in John 14, 8, verse 11, uh, G- Philip asked Jesus, in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whomever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am? in the father and the father is in me the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his works believe in me that i am in the father and the father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves the trinity is a somewhat complicated doctrine we don't talk a lot about but there's a lot of quotes out here that will talk about jesus and the father and the holy spirit being separate persons uh, and if St. Nick, the real St. Nick was here, he'd probably try to knock those people out. That's one of the things he fought against, was the heresy of, against the Trinity. But they shared divine essence. Three distinct persons. God the Father sent God the Son into humanity. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. They shared the same purpose, the same mission, but different aspects of the mission. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus became the sacrifice and the Spirit now draws the people in to believe and seal and to sanctify. And ultimately, by God's grace, we will be restored back perfectly to the Father, Son, and Spirit in the new heaven, new earth. It's going to be amazing. Whatever gifts you've been given here on this earth, PS5, Kush, Tagimoto, or whatever it's called, That stuff's going to be nothing compared to being in the presence of God and witnessing his full glory. This is what Jesus said in John 10, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. i can't fully comprehend jesus at birth needing to to feed from his mother to grow in his knowledge and understanding and how all that stuff relates to his full humanity and his understanding that he was going to a cross to die but ultimately to raise his life up again but what i don't hesitate to know is that jesus knew what he came to do and he didn't shy away from it this past week, we were at this place called Energize Lodge, and you know, Jake and Logan—they're Navy now, and they're like tough guys and stuff. And so, it's like twenty degrees, and um, there's this little lake. And I had the bright idea—I think it was my idea—like oh, we're gonna go on a polar plunge. You ever done a polar plunge? Yeah, Rebecca and then my family. So. Logan's betting me I can't do it and all this other stuff. And, and, and we get to the edge of this. this. We drive down there, and it's like literally 20 degrees. We're like in our shorts and T-shirts. <clears throat> and we start walking into this water. And the minute I put my foot in the water, it was freezing cold. But I was stepping on this muddy bank. It was nasty. And I wasn't expecting the muddy bank. I only went in halfway. I was like up to here. And I saw my boys go all the way in. And I was talking to them this morning on the way in the church about doing hard things, no matter what it takes, because that's what you've been called to do. And Jesus didn't just get to the edge of the bank and look in and say, nah, you know, he didn't look on the edge of humanity and sinful humanity, knowing that he would be born so that he would die on a cross. Jesus went all the way in. He did it perfectly. He lived a perfect life. One hundred and thousand, ten percent completely obedient because we couldn't. He showed compassion. He showed mercy and he accomplished this purpose. Therefore, he's the only son of God, specific and unique. He calls himself the way, the truth, the life. He says there's no other way to be reconciled back to the father, but through his life, death and resurrection. And in that we find our place in the family, in that we find our purpose. We share in Jesus' personhood on this earth. We walk and we talk and we live amongst people as Jesus would. But we also share with them the gospel, which can bring lost and ruined sinners back into the family. Last point. In thinking about how we live, Jesus gave us the gift of his grace and truth. John says he was full of grace and truth, not either or. This was the gift of his perfect attribute. He showed us what it looked like to be full of grace and truth. And I want I to read this excerpt from a pastor sitting in Kevin DeYoung. He's a senior pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Matthews. He says this, Jesus was all grace. He welcomed sinners and tax collectors and ate with them. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry and far from home. He welcomed the little children to come and sit on his lap, gentler and kinder than any department store Santa. He healed the lepers, the lame, and the blind. He saved the criminal on the cross who, in his dying breath, confessed that the dying man next to him was truly the Son of God, and Jesus was all truth. He condemned many of the religious leaders of his day for being hypocrites and liars. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He called all those who would be disciples to take up their cross daily and follow him. He prophesied judgment on Jerusalem for their unrepentant hearts. He obeyed the law, set standards, and demanded everything from his followers, even their very lives. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, all grace, all truth, all the time. But he didn't come simply to give us an example of grace and truth. He came to save us in grace and truth. It's only after we've been saved and made right with God that God says, all right, now that I've saved you through Jesus, you need to know that I've saved you to look like Jesus. The motivation to be full of grace and truth is not because we need to earn God's favor, but because being a follower of Jesus Christ means we look like the one we follow. We desperately need God's grace in our lives. We need to hear from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to know that God doesn't expect us to clean up our act before we come to him. He implores us simply to come now, today, even as we are in our brokenness, in our pain, in humility, in repentance, and in faith. We need to hear that wayward children who have squandered their inheritance and lived an immoral, rebellious life can come home into the arms of the Heavenly Father. And we desperately need truth in our lives. We need to hear from Jesus. The truth will set you free. And we need to hear from Jesus what the saying really means. i tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but the son will set you free, free indeed. We need someone as gracious as Jesus that will tell us the truth. You are not okay. You do not need to push away those feelings of guilt that weigh you down. You are guilty. And anyone who tells you otherwise is not telling you the truth. And because they won't tell you the truth, you won't experience the grace that you need. You can't have the good news without the bad news. We all need to understand that we are, without Christ, we are lost, ruined, reckless, rebellious, rowdy, dysfunctional, unworthy sinners. In Christ, we are redeemed, we are loved, we are forgiven, we do things orderly, We magnify his love to each other as we spend time in his presence because that's what being with God does. That's what being in Christ does for Christians. It ought to make you look more like him. We need his truth. We need his grace in order to be gracious and truthful people. We need Jesus, guys. Only Jesus Christ lived in perfect grace and perfect truth. This is his gift to us. Only Jesus Christ can save hard-hearted, hard-headed sinners full of lies and deserving judgment this is his gift to us and only by union with Jesus Christ can we grow in the same truth and grace that walked amongst us in the miracle of incarnation this is God's gift to us these are the gifts of God his personhood his presence his glory revealed his gospel of grace and truth and his relationship with us and our relationship with the father all made possible by a babe that was born and emerged a manger grew in flesh, and died on a cross, God with us. Jesus is the greatest gift for us, and Jesus is and will always be the greatest gift to this world through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we need you. We confess that we are needy. We're helpless apart from you, with you. We are strong. With you, we are courageous. With you, we are bold. With you, we are loved. And so, God, I just call on your presence, God. I pray that we would, this Christmas day, even as we think about the babe in the manger that we born to die, that we would lay down our lives more for you, God. That we would see the Christmas story as a, as a beautiful story of humility and grace and of love. And God, depending on where we go today or even tomorrow or the rest of this next week, God, I pray that we would model that full of grace and compassion and love. But also full of truth, God, that we wouldn't just look our lost family members and friends in the eyes and just love them all the way to hell, God, that we love them with the truth. We would, we would share the truth that they need Jesus just like we need Jesus. Jesus, we need you to help us point others to you. Holy Spirit, help us. We confess how hard it is for us. But with you, Lord, all things are possible. We thank you, we love you, we praise you this Christmas day. In Jesus' name.